And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Slam and Jam here on the Athletic MBA Show. You can go to theathletic.com slash MBA Show and get the Athletic for a discounted rate. It's a great time. We are less than a month away from the NBA trade deadline. You can go check out a piece that I help contribute to uh, with our, our guy Eric Kareen about Pascal Siakam trades. Lots and lots of fake Pascal Siakam trades on that piece. And you get to hear both sides from you know the Raptors side, from the Thunder side, from the Mavs side, from the Pacer side, all of it. It's very good. You should go check it out. Theathletic.com slash NBA show. With me, as always, is my good friend Alex Spears. Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night where the new-look OG Knicks went to Philly and continued their post-trade hot streak, dominating the Sixers 128-92 and outscoring Philly 35-16 in the fourth quarter. It was the Knicks' third straight win, a streak that would reach five before the Knicks finally fell to the Mavericks on Thursday night. Since the new year, the Knicks are 5-1 with the sixth-ranked offense and second-ranked defense per cleaning the glass. On Saturday, it's another Sixers game, and unfortunately for them, another game where I will be talking about how good the other team is. The Utah Jazz, led by Lowry Markkinen's 33 points, beat the Sixers in Philly 120-109. The Jazz, as I will discuss in a few minutes, have been on a tear over the last month, going 12-4 and moving to within a half game of the play-in. As for the Sixers, it's been a rough patch. They are 1-4 in their last five, and Joel Embiid has been out of the lineup for a couple games now with the knee thing. As a reminder, the MVP must play 65 games this season, meaning that any MVP candidate can only miss 17 games max. Embiid, through 36 games so far, has already missed nine. Now, do you remember Cavs week a few weeks ago where the wheel of fandom landing on the Cavs immediately resulted in the Cavs announcing two of their starters would be out for extended time? Things seemed bleak. Squashed them. But these Cavs just keep chugging away. On Sunday, the Cavs, led by Jarrett Allen's 29-16, beat Victor Wembanyama and the Spurs 117-115, holding on after an 11-0 Spurs run to end the game. Since losing both Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, the Cavs are a very impressive 9-3. and And because of the game in Paris this week, which they also won, they don't play again until Monday. The Cavs are 22-15, fifth in the East, with Darius Garland likely coming back very, very soon. On Monday, the Clippers continued their winning ways, beating the Suns 131-122 in Phoenix. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard combined to score 63, while the Suns were once again without one of their big three, this time Kevin Durant. The Clippers are 16-3 in their last 19 games and are now only a game back of the Nuggets for third in the West. And in other Clippers news this week, it was announced that Kawhi Leonard agreed to a three-year, $152 million extension, which will keep Kawhi in L.A. through the 26-27 season. On Tuesday, the new-look Raptors, starting Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett, and Thad, by the way, 
traveled to L.A. to face off against the Lakers. The final margin in the game was only one, a 132-131 to victory for the Lakers. But as we would learn in a post-game rant from Raptors coach Darko Rajakovic, perhaps the most important margin was that margin that happened at the free throw line, where the Lakers shot 23 free throws to the Raptors' two in the fourth quarter. Rajakovic was fined 25 grand for his comments, and the Raptors dropped to 15 and 23, currently out of the plan. While Coach Darko and the Raps did not get the much-needed win, hopefully they can take solace in the fact that the Lakers are not good. The Lakers are 4-10 in their last 14 games, with a Saturday game coming up against the Red Hot Jazz. If the Jazz win that game, which is in Utah, the Jazz would move into the play-in, pushing the Lakers completely out of the playoff. Unreal. Unreal. On Wednesday, it was a matchup between the two best teams in the league, the Boston Celtics and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And similar to their first matchup this season, it was another overtime thriller. After missing an off-balance mid-range shot to win it in regulation, Jason Tatum would score 12 of his 45 points in overtime, helping the Celtics get the 127-120 win. The Celtics are now 18-0 at home. And if you're wondering, no team in NBA history has ever gone undefeated at home. The closest we've gotten was the 15-16 Spurs and the 85-86 Celtics, who both went 40-1. and Now, for the Timberwolves, they were so close to breaking a really long losing streak in Boston, which goes all the way back to 2007, which was the last time they won there, a game in which Ricky Davis scored a team-high 28 points for the Wolves in the win. Now, Celtics announcer Brian Scalabrini also played in that game. Listen to this line. 37 minutes... 0 of 1 from the field, 0 <laughs> points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 5 fouls. 0 of 1 is like the craziest 0 of 1 in 37 stat. minutes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, finally on Thursday, we had some blowouts. Cool. The Thunder beat the Blazers 139-77 to in OKC. The 77 points for the Blazers, that's the fewest points scored in the NBA this season. And last season, actually. It was also the largest margin of victory in Thunder franchise history. Mm -hmm. The game everyone was watching, however, was Celtics-Bucks, a matchup of the two top teams in the East. Unfortunately, that game was also not that dissimilar from the Thunder game, with the Bucks cruising the entire time, winning 135-102 to in a game that was never really close. Now, were the Celtics on the second night of a back-to-back? Yes. You know who else was? The Timberwolves the night before, when they had to play Boston and took them to overtime. Okay. And finally, I didn't talk about them yet, but it's worth mentioning that this past week was a particularly low point for the Golden State Warriors. You had the Shams report about Jonathan Kaminga losing faith in Steve Kerr after last night's or after last Friday night's loss. You had two blowout losses, one to Toronto and one to New Orleans. You had Steph suggesting that keeping this team together the rest of the season would be the definition of insanity. <laughs> you had the host of the Draymond Green show nearing his return and releasing an episode of his podcast where he revealed that being a giant ass on the court over and over was getting too much for him, and Adam Silver had to talk him out of retirement. Listen, it's been a bad week for the Warriors, and if you have any Warriors fans in your life, friends or family, please check in with them this weekend and let them know that you are enjoying every single second of this and that you can't wait to see what the second of the two timelines looks like yeah. since this first one is so clearly over. Yeah. Uh, what a week it was, Andrew. What a week indeed, Al. Uh, scoring is up around the league, and so I decided I'd come up with five scoring stats for this season. Stat number one, 
The Thunder lead the league in drives at 61.8. I'm sure you've heard that a ton. But since the NBA started tracking drives per game in the 13-14 season, the Thunder are the only franchise to have 60 or more drives. I've done it three times. In fact, the first year they started tracking drives per game in 13-14, the most drives for any team was the Philadelphia 76ers at 42.6 per game. The Thunder are 20 more drives per game than that team. Pretty wild. And it's you think that you think they're getting loosey goosey with their definition? Or you I, think they're actually I driving? think the league is changing, and I have another stat that shows how much the league has changed since that particular season. But that's for later. Stat number two, Kevin Durant. He's been pretty good for the Suns, but did you know he's only shooting forty two percent in the mid range this season? Last season, he was a mid-range killer. He shot 56% last season from the mid-range. He's only .92, and he's also only .92 points per possession in isolation. Like, one of, like, the worst, like, heavy ISO guys in the league. That's, like, the worst points per possession among any ISO player taking three or more shots per game. Kevin Durant. So, is there a decline? Is it a fit issue? What is it? There's something going on with Durant. Mm. So just, just I'm not saying this is definitive for Durant, but I'm putting a pin in Kevin Durant right now because it's not looking very good. Al, I'm going to give you the best and worst players in transition, four or more possessions per game. So the best guys in transition, starting with Donovan Mitchell, who is in 5.5 transition possessions. Transition possessions, that's hard to say. Transition possessions, every game, 1.34 points per possession, shooting a 67% effective field goal, which is just outrageous. Second, Shea Gilders-Alexander in six possessions per game, 1.32 points per possession, 65% effective field goal in transition, crushing it. And then R.J. Barrett, 1.31 points per possession in transition, 65% effective field goal. All those guys are just almost automatic in transition. Now, three guys who aren't so automatic in transition. Tyler Hero in four transition possessions. 0.94 points per possession. 46% effective field goal in transition. Really Hmm. bad. Number two, Terry Rozier. 4.5 possessions. 0.98 points per possession. Only 51% effective field goal. Now, both of those... They're chuckers. They're probably taking a lot of pull-up jumpers in transition. Those are understandable. This one, this one surprised me the most. Scotty Barnes, in four transition possessions every game, 0.99 points per possession. He's only shooting 56% effective field goal in the league. It's one of the worst players in transition taking four or more per game. I thought that was kind of unusual to me. That was not a name that I expected to see. Well, maybe uh, maybe RJ will rub off on him a little bit. R- yeah, uh, I, I mean, if you would have told me, like, who's who's a better transition player, RJ Barrett or Scotty Barnes? Oh, yeah. It yeah is I like, would not be guessing RJ Barrett. It is, like, by far RJ Barrett. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, pull-up shooters. How about some pull-up shooting? Some of the best pull-up shooters in the league. Shea Gillis-Alexander, not a shock. In nine pull-up shots per game, shooting 48%. He's he's shooting better on pull-up shots than Tyler Hero is in transition, which is yeah, that's wild. Wild. Uh, CJ McCollum, a classic, classic pull-up game. 
still amazing this season. 48% as well on six pull-ups per game. And then Chris Middleton, another classic. Five attempts per game, 47%. Still really good. Now the work. CJ is, yeah, go is ahead. It, I was going to say real quick, CJ is low-key having like an awesome season. Yeah. He's yeah. shooting 45% from three this season on eight attempts per game. Like ev- all of his efficiency is up. He's basically putting up the same counting stats as last season, um, but he's playing slightly fewer minutes, but way more efficient. In his 32 age season. Yeah. Shout out CJ. And very efficient in the pull ups. Three guys who are really bad in pull ups this season that are taking a lot. You have to take five or more. A couple goobers in here that you kind of, ex- that you're like, kind of like, okay, these guys make sense. Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole. 33%. On 5.8 pull-ups per game. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Green, 32% mm, on mm, 5.9 attempts. Like, okay. Sure. There's a player that's that's worse, though. And this is the worst in pull-up mm. shots. And he's taking eight per game. Any mm. guesses as to who the worst is on, like, volume pull-up shots? Uh, I do have a name in my head, but I don't, I don't even want to say it. Because uh, I, I probably would have guessed, like if I were, if I didn't already say Jordan Poole, I think Jordan Poole would be the one that people would be thinking about. Yeah. Know? Or they. Okay, thinking? I've written it down. Okay. If you say the name, I will show you the name. Okay. What is the name? It's Tyrese Maxey. Okay. Well, that was not what I was going to say. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I knew that because I was just listening to the You Know Ball podcast, and uh, and Trill Bro Dude was talking about this. Yeah. How he's been so good everywhere else. Everywhere else. But his pull up game has been really bad. It's not only really bad, it's the worst in the NBA on high volume. The worst. 31%. Yeah, that's, that's the worst in the league at high volume. Okay, my last offensive scoring stat. We all know the post game is dead. But how dead is it really? This season, Nikola Jokic has the most post-ups per game at 6.8 post-ups. Embiid has five per game. Anthony Davis has four. Everybody else in the league is three or less. NBA.com slash stats, tracking data, goes back to the 13-14 season, as I mentioned earlier. The most that season, and remember, this season, the most is 6.8. The most that season, Al Jefferson at 19.8 post-ups per game. (laughs) This was only a decade ago, and the league has changed this much. In fact, Todd Gibson, that season, in 13-14, had as many post-ups as Nikola Jokic does this season at 6.8. Exactly the same. The post-up is officially dead. It's dead, Al. Most like most guys you would think are like, oh, like Alpern Shengun, dominant in the post. He's taking three. Three per game. The post-up is dead. It's gone. Eliminated. Man, I, I did love Al Jefferson. 19. I, 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 20 post-ups per game. Which, that's so awesome. Which, which is in fact like it would just ne- it probably will never happen again because people are like oh yeah the big man's back look at all these like great bigs you know winning MVPs all this they don't post up they just don't do it and be five per game five five the things the things I always always remember about Al Jefferson were randomly that that random year he had in Charlotte when he was really really good yeah like kind of I, I think he was around thirty by that time and then also his giant bed do you remember his giant bed. <laughs> Giant bed. Yeah. It was so long. <laughs> Two favorite things about Jefferson. Giant guy, giant bed. Um, okay. Were those all your stats, Andrew? That's all you got. All right. 
Um, listen, a lot can change in a month. On December 12th, one month ago, the Nets, who are currently 16 and 22, were an above 500 team. The Lakers, who are, are currently teetering at the 10th spot, were the sixth seed with three more wins than the team in seventh. Wow. The Pistons had one fewer win than they currently do. And the Jazz, the Utah Jazz, were 7-16. and 16. At that time, Cleaning the Glass had the Jazz as the 26th best offense and 27th best defense. Wow. A negative 8.8 net rating. Wow. And based on their play to that point, Cleaning the Glass expected them to win around 19 games over an 82-game season. One month later... Utah Jazz are 19 and 20, a half game behind. Well, actually, they're, they're actually kind of tied with the Lakers now. Yeah. I wrote this like two nights ago, but now after the Lakers lost, as I mentioned, that game on Saturday is going to decide who's in the 10th spot. They're a full game up on the Warriors. Like, what happened to this team? Well, over the last month, the Jazz have gone 12 and 4. They are 13th in offense, 12th in defense 12 over that and time. 12 and 4 span. is wild, man. 12 and 4 is crazy. So it is. Those 12 wins are tied with the Boston Celtics for most wins over the past month. And if for some reason 12 and 4 doesn't sound that impressive, I looked at last season just for context. Only 11 of the 30 teams had a 16 game stretch as good as what the Jazz have done over the last month. This Jazz team has gone from being a true cellar dweller, hanging out there, you know, down there with the likes of the Zards and the Hornets yeah. and the Spurs and the Pistons to having one of the best months of basketball a team has had so far this season. And if you're wondering whether the schedule gods showed them favor over the last month, no, they didn't. Just in the last week, they beat Philly on the road, Milwaukee on the road, and Denver at home. There's 16 wins, or sorry, there's 12 wins, also included wins against Dallas, Miami, and New York. Their four losses were at Sacramento, at Cleveland, at New Orleans, and at Boston. That's it. Ooh. Four road losses to wow. playoff teams. Wow. And if you're still trying to poke holes in this, wondering, well, maybe they got some shooting luck. No, it was the opposite. Over the last month, Jazz opponents shot 37.9% from three, which was the 11th highest percentage in the league. And they shot 45.3% from the corners, which was the sixth highest percentage in the league. If on, anything, man. the Jazz were a little unlucky shooting the ball. They only hit 35.9% of their own corner threes, which was the fifth worst percentage over that month time span. This team has just been really good. Now, why have they been good? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The obvious one is health. In the first, those first 26 games, Markkinen and Kessler missed a combined 15 games. And importantly, they missed those games during different stretches, hmm. which means the Jazz weren't really able to settle into any kind of normal rotation. Now, with everyone healthy, the Jazz have finally been able to get into a rhythm with their rotations. And interestingly, what they found works is much different than what they thought would work entering the season. The starting lineup on opening night was Talon Horton Tucker, Walker Kessler, Jordan Clarkson, John Collins, and Larry Markkinen. That lineup ended up playing 174 possessions together. They were a minus 21.4 net rating in those possessions. Oh, no. Oh, no is right. Fast forward to today. The Jazz are rolling out Chris Dunn, Colin Sexton, Larry Markkinen, Simone Fontecchio, I always have to pause. I really am trying to get that right. I, I even wrote it out phonetically. It's a for great myself. name. It's a great name. It is. And John Collins. In 182 possessions, 
that new starting lineup has a plus 2.1 net rating per cleaning the glass. Mm. Now, that isn't some overwhelming number, but when your previous starters were a minus 21.4, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. And that lineup has been putting up those improved numbers over this recent stretch, which, again, included games against Boston, Milwaukee, and Denver. Andy Larson wrote a great article in the Salt Lake Tribune detailing why this starting lineup, which, by the way, is the 16th different one for the Jazz this season, has finally led them to a place that makes sense. Chris Dunn in the role of the distributor, Sexton as the off-ball scorer, who has more space because of Fontecchio and Collins being there, and then Markinen, of course, as the lead guy, who, in addition to his always efficient scoring, is currently at career-high levels with offensive rebound percentage and block percentage. That new starting lineup has allowed the all-bench unit to make more sense as well. Rookie Keontae George, Jordan Clarkson, Ochai Baji, Kelly Olenek, and Walker Kessler are a plus 22 net rating wow. in 90 possessions, only 90 possessions, so far per cleaning the glass. And one thing Andy brought up in his article was how coach Will Hardy has talked about using Kessler differently in terms of spacing, starting him closer to the three-point line instead of near the paint. And Jackson Frank on Twitter clipped a play from that Nuggets game showing how this works. It was a play where Kessler starts just inside the three-point line in the corner, and while the movement of all the other four Jazz players keeps the Nuggets occupied, Kessler eventually cuts to the rim where he catches an easy lob from Markinen for the dunk. I know one thing I have been guilty of is thinking that good spacing is just too difficult with a non-shooting big mm -hmm. in the current NBA, which is just wrong. It can be difficult, but it's also not impossible either. And Will Hardy deserves a lot of credit for constructing this offense in a way where all these random pieces are being optimized. Because I can't really say that I just love this Jazz roster, Andrew. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not blown away when I read this list of names to myself. And so part of me does wonder, as good as this month has been, how much further up the standings can they really go? But that's where it starts to get interesting, because while everyone has been focused on the Jazz as sellers at this deadline, talking about Markinen or John Collins or Kelly Olenek, why wouldn't they be buyers? This is the same team that engaged with the Blazers about Damian Lillard, the same mm -hmm. team that was trying to get involved in the Drew Holiday sweepstakes, mm -hmm. the team that made the John Collins trade, and the team who, if the Thunder didn't exist, we'd be talking about how much trade ammo they have. At least 15 total first-round picks, including their own, Five that are completely unprotected. They got lightly protected ones. They got swaps. They have movable contracts. Why wouldn't the Jazz be buyers? And that should terrify these old-ass teams at the bottom of the playing range. Yeah. Because a month ago, the Warriors, Lakers, and Suns thought they'd really only need to fend off one other team to at least make the play-in mm -hmm. when it looked like all of San Antonio, Portland, Memphis, and Utah wouldn't be competitive. Well, now Utah, even without some big deadline deal, is going to be a huge problem. This team, assuming decent health, is going to make the play-in. Official slam and jam prediction, whoa, Andrew. Whoa, whoa. I don't think they're world beaters by any means. And I'd love to see them make some kind of upgrade at the deadline. But after a turbulent start to the season, they have now been in a solid groove for a month, yeah. which is so much more that you can say about these other goofy old teams around them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've, I've kind of been waiting... But we are now at the month point. Like they've been doing this for a month now, 12 and four. So I, I feel like I have to start to change my priors, which, granted, I think it was deserved after you start off the season seven and 19. But they followed that up with this 12 and four month, beating some really good teams. Now, with everyone healthy, I think I'm starting to buy the Jazz. I'm buying in. 
So official Slam and Jam prediction. Who's out then? If the Jazz are in, who's out? You're asking me to make a second prediction, Andrew. I only do one prediction. Oh, it's attached to uh, the first per show. It's, it's attached mm, to the uh, the first is, one. Andrew, it's none of my business. Okay, whoever wants to drop out, that's their call. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, I mean, two, it could be two of Phoenix, Houston, Lakers, Jazz, Warriors are going to miss. Correct. Two. Yes. Because I think like Dallas is good enough. Pelicans have been good enough. Everybody else is good enough. But like two of those teams, two of Dallas or not Dallas, Phoenix, Houston, L.A., Utah, Golden State. That's Warriors, that's yeah. pretty wild. Like those are, I mean, obviously Utah, it is. And if it, Utah didn't make it, they they I don't think their fan base would be like outrageously disappointed. If any of those other missed, it would be like such a big disappointment for any of those fan bases. Well, and I know what some people will say is. Well, if, if if they're around the play-in by the end of the season, as a reminder, their pick is going to OKC, but it's top 10 protected. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't they kind of do a you know Dallas Mavs move from last year where they try to make sure they're in the 10 spot? But you and I have talked about, like, if you're the Jazz, wouldn't you rather that pick convey this year in what everyone is seeing yeah. as a down draft and then getting your own pick next year in the 25 draft? Mm-hmm. Now, they expect to be better than the 10th pick next year, but it kind of it makes it easier like you don't have to worry as much. Like you, you can have it either way. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to having your first round pick in a much better draft. Yeah. So I don't really buy that as much. I, I did at the beginning of the season, but now I'm at the point where I think the Jazz are just going to continue to play well and might even be buyers as they kind of suggested in the summer. Yeah, yeah, they could go get one of those net swings. You know, they could to fortify a lot to of fortify them. their team. They really could. Uh, another team that might look to maybe upgrade a little bit at the deadline is the Indiana Pacers, and we'll talk about them right after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a wheel, it lands on a team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. Last week, the wheel landed on the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers were on a five-game winning streak at the time and continued their good play this week, going 3-1 and one with wins over Atlanta, Boston, and Washington. The only downside to the week, which was a pretty big one, is that Pacers star Tyrese Halliburton had to leave in the first half of the win against Boston after doing an awkward splits. Halliburton would be diagnosed with a grade one hamstring strain and is expected to be out at least the next two weeks. Pacers are 22 and 15, fourth in the East with the number one offense and 27th ranked defense per cleaning the glass. Andrew, if the Pacers are our favorite team, who is our guest? Oh, I'm so excited for this. We get to learn from Caitlin Cooper today. She, she writes about the Pacers on the Basketball She Wrote blog that's available on Patreon.com. Caitlin, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. It's been a while, but I'm excited to talk about Pacers with you again. Yeah. So the big story is obviously Indiana losing Tyrese Halliburton. This week, Halliburton creates so much for the Pacers offense, both as a scorer and as a passer. Despite losing him, however, the Pacers were able to quickly regroup and beat Boston, and then they won their most recent game against Washington. How are the Pacers able to successfully adjust so quickly after losing a player who's so essential to everything they do? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting because time's a flat circle, right? Because at this time last December, the Pacers made a starting lineup change and they ended up rattling off eight wins out out of 10. And then Tyrese got hurt. And then after that, they went one of nine over the next 10 with him being injured. And they just never regained that same magic even after he came back. So now they make a starting lineup change. They go eight and one. He gets injured. And this time they're doing a lot better at regrouping on it. Just like you said, some the second half coming out against Boston, I think a big key to it is they're very deep at the point guard position, despite how good and fantastic Tyrese has been as literally almost an MVP candidate. So TJ McConnell was a big part of what they did in that second half, particularly because Boston likes to try a lot of weird things on defense and it's fascinating, like particularly this week, everything that they do differently with Drew Holiday, whether that's morphing in and out of man and zone, whether that was being really aggressive, weaking Tyrese Halliburton, their pick and roll coverages were very good. Against TJ, they actually tried to put Kristaps Porzingis and Luke Cornett as his primary matchup Hmm. and just sag off and play clear into the paint, despite the fact that he was the only ball handler on the floor. And he really took advantage of that, and their transition defense struggled. So that's where the Pacers are really going to thrive. And if we're being honest, it also helped that Jason Tatum wasn't playing. Yeah, he, sure. He, he played pretty well against them in the prior matchup, so that was a help. And it also helped that they were playing the Washington Wizards in the next game. So we'll see how they fare here coming out, going on this extended road trip without Tyrese. But I do think that they're a little bit better equipped than they were last year to handle it. And they've talked about the fact that, you know, it's going to have to look differently without Tyrese as well. I mean, you could tell right off the bat against Washington that Rick Carlisle has really relaxed how much play calling he does when Tyrese is at the helm. He was calling a lot of plays without Tyrese at the helm. They're having to focus a little bit more on defense. So their play style, I don't think, is going to be quite the same. So one of the stories this season with the Pacers has been their defense, or lack thereof. However, in their last nine games, where Indiana has gone 8-1, and one, the Pacers have held teams to 114.8 points per 100 possessions which is 10th in the league during that span per cleaning the glass. And if any listener out there thinks, oh, they must have played an easy schedule, six of those nine games were against Milwaukee, Boston, Atlanta, and New York, all teams with a top eight offense. How much of this recent defensive improvement is real versus a mirage? I think it's a combination of both. When they made the change to the starting lineup the day after Christmas and ended up going back to what they went away from last year, which is putting Jalen Smith back at the four, And part, I think that was motivated for a number of reasons and that 
they had given up like 150 points to the Clippers and James Harden was doing snow angels on the sideline and they knew that they needed to put an emphasis on defense. So by doing that, it allows Aaron Neesmith to play at the three, which is his more natural defensive position. He's not giving up as much size. Also, like individual defensive rating is, you know, it's not an individual stat, but the only starter for the Pacers who had a negative swing net rating was Obi Toppin. So they made an adjustment there. And then also all three centers have been playing pretty well for them. So it allows them to keep playing all three of them to an extent. But it was also they just they wanted to make clear that, look, like the guys are going to play who are making a commitment on defense. So. I think that on the one hand, you can tell from an execution standpoint that some of it is better. Like just for an example, the Pacers started the year, they did not double team mismatches at all. Like that's why they limit so many three-point attempts. They stay home. They do not have very many closeouts. Like if you look at second spectrum, they're one of the lowest teams in terms of closeouts because they're staying and trying to limit three-point attempts. Hmm. Then they kind of found out like, look, we have no size. We can't do that. So they play a game against the Raptors. They're very proactive doubling Pascal Siakam, but their rotations out of those double teams were abhorrent, like really, really bad knowing that they want to be in shift position, rotating from the next nearest defender and then keeping those rotations in front. You could tell they were a team that didn't do it. And now when you watch them do it, they're they're more connected. You could tell that they're more on a string and know where rotations need to be. That being said, when you say how much of it is real, overall opponents haven't shot terribly against them from three on the whole, but they've caught a lot of opponents in this stretch on very bad nights. So you'll see that like mm. Houston shot like made five threes. Like, so mm-hmm. that's not something that you're really controlling. You can control the location and the volume of three-point attempts. You can't really control the percentage. And then I would also say that there's just like, yes, this is a tougher schedule, but the opponents they were losing to during the one and seven stretch were very uniquely positioned to give the Pacers problems. A team like Orlando, a team like Minnesota, they don't have guys who can guard Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards mm-hmm. and, and handle Paolo Bancaro. So um, those matchups are something that, I, I think that that aspect's going to continue to linger. The fact that they don't have players who can guard big wings is, is a lingering issue and probably why the Patriots are getting mentioned with basically every big wing that's out on the market. <laughs> right. Yeah. So back to the offense. Halliburton has become one of the most dominant offensive players in the NBA. Thinking ahead to the playoffs, what kind of defensive strategies have been most successful against Tyrese so far this season? And are there any teams, personnel, or schemes that are particularly suited to slow him down? Chicago in the fourth quarter earlier this season had quite a bit of success just having Alex Caruso face guard him and be physical so that they were having to run offense more so through Bruce Brown. Similarly, Orlando in the first game when the Pacers had the really lopsided loss and had their worst half-court offensive rating in the first half of that game. Jalen Suggs was very physical with him because one of the things they'll do when it's, you know, TJ, Andrew Nemhard, Bruce Brown running offenses, they'll use Tyrese as like the stack screener, have him get loose out to the wing and then make plays from there. And they were preventing him from even being able to set those screens. And then it was forcing the Pacers to have to get into next actions. But I would say that Boston, honestly, this week as a whole was probably the best that I've seen. He was five of 17. The book on Tyrese is to weak him to his left. And some teams aren't as successful with that because he is still very good at stopping and popping and automatically shooting going to his left. But if you're able to stay on his hip and funnel him into the mid range, he takes floaters with his right. So it's going to be an automatic, you know, contest right to his right hand. Derek White was very good at that. And then just mixing up however many different coverages that they were using. I mean, it was very telling of the Pacers and some of the holes that they still have in terms of what they need to be to be a contender. And that Drew Holiday in the second half was guarding Tyrese Halliburton on the logo and face guarding him and not even looking at the fact that Ben was having a, a screen set from Isaiah Jackson. Like yeah. clear out on the logo, just standing there staring at him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
Yeah. So I would say that Boston is as, as a group was the best that I've seen somebody do so far. Kind of related that I, I was reading your post about um, the different ways they're trying to hide Tyrese Halliburton on defense, mm-hmm. specifically against Boston, who came out in that first quarter of the first game and were just targeting Halliburton almost every play. And I think you said that Indiana scored 20 points in that quarter. Halliburton was 0 for 4. Do you think that might be a viable way of just like slowing him down by putting him in so many actions defensively that you just try to wear him out? Yeah, and that was the flip side of the coin. I mean, Jalen Brown even touched on that and admitted that like, that was our strategy was to put him in as many actions early so that, you know, what he does in transition, maybe he doesn't have the same energy stores to be able to do that. So the Pacers did try to make a number of adjustments. One thing that they did is they've had him use show and recover a lot more this year than you would have seen last year. So they're not giving up that switch. The problem, mm-hmm. though, there is, is like Aaron Neesmith fights tooth and nail. Like that guy would run through a brick roll through his teammates, but if he's still staying on Jason Tatum, like Jason Tatum can still shoot over the top of him. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then Boston was like, well, if you're going to show and recover then we're just going to slip the guard screens at which point the Pacers have been more active. where like the guy guarding the corner will then do a kickout switch. They will take that guy slipping and then Tyrese will peel off and go to the corner, which is pretty effective for him because he really does play passing lanes quite well. He has a you know good size for position. He's pretty good at anticipating that. So, that was helpful, but we'll see if they continue to do that, how teams adjust and counter for it, because that the only team I've seen them do that against so far is Boston, really, because they haven't they've eliminated some of the peel switching from their defense that they did last year. So your most recent post on on basketball she wrote was about the go-ahead shot Benedict Matherin took at the end of the second Celtics game, which led to free throws and the win, a shot that no pacer had taken out of that action before that moment. Now, Matherin, he exploded onto the scene as a rookie. He posted some huge lines, but he struggled with efficiency as the season went on, especially from three. This season, he's playing slightly less minutes, but has improved his efficiency across the board, though he's not getting to the line nearly at the rate he was last season. Where have you seen the biggest improvements in his game, and what do you see as the most important next step for him going forward? Yeah, I mean, I've said early on from the beginning of the year that I don't think it's completely been reflected in the numbers, but I compare him to like, if you imagine a trapeze artist letting go of the swing that they're currently on, but yet they haven't quite reached for the second one. I think overall he is a better player than last year, but he's kind of in liminal space. And I don't know when exactly it's going to be that he's going to fully latch on to the next step of where he needs to go. He's kind Mm -hmm. of in that in between, but like when they were at summer league, it was very much like his processing of the game and ability to find kickout avenues was limiting him because he really wants to play out a triple threat. And that's something that like, it's a good thing. He's very good at it. He's very good at making reads and using like a shimmy jab and knowing how much he needs to do to create separation and get to the rim. And that's why Rick Carlisle kind of mentioned like that shot that he got against Boston. He's the only guy in our roster who could have even gotten that shot off, but there's times where he'll be open And he doesn't realize like it's a short closeout and he doesn't just naturally shoot the inflow shots that are coming to him. So the threes are following at a better clip, but I think he could even be taking a few more attempts in some of those situations just so that he's drawing longer closeouts because he is so good at driving downhill and drawing contact and the free throw attempts have gone up for him. I think a big part of it for him in terms of inflection points is that they just need him to be able to compete on defense more consistently. And there have been some solid performances for him, like what he's, he's played terrifically against Milwaukee and, pretty much most of those matchups and had some really big plays against Giannis down the stretch in the first one they got over him. But then there'll also be moments where like, yeah, they scored 150 points on the Hawks, but there's three possessions in a row where he's given up a screen rejecting to DeJounte Murray. And then DeJounte Murray's getting to the rim where they, they need more from him there. And I think that he is capable of doing it. He has the tools physically to do it. It's just that everything with Ben typically is about feel and processing. And that's where 
Like you can see that his visual awareness is starting to get broader, that he's seeing more passing angles, especially on drives than what he would have seen last year. And they need that same thing to start opening up for him on defense as well. Um, because if he's going to play out there with Tyrese Halliburton, the numbers with Tyrese and Ben are not good. I think that's in part why they went ahead and moved him back to the bench. I think some of that was, you know, second year slump and having to figure out the different ways that teams were guarding him, but also like the numbers between Tyrese and Buddy are better. The numbers between Tyrese and Andrew are better because Andrew's probably the most complete defender on the team and Buddy just has a degree of gravity that no one else on the roster has. So mm-hmm. um, it's going to have to be Ben knocking down inflow shots that come to him and continue to be making strides as a defender. So, Caitlin, I was a big Jarris Walker guy going into this past draft. I know he did a lot of pre-draft work on Walker, and the Pacers drafted him eighth overall. But the 37 games, he's only played 100 minutes total across 12 games. How did you envision Walker's fit on the Pacers going into the draft? And with reports that the Pacers are, quote, very determined not to trade Walker, how important do you think it is that he could potentially be, how important could he be in this next era of the Pacers? I mean, in, in theory, his skill set represents pretty much everything that they're missing. Mm-hmm. Like, if Tyrese is getting trapped, they could definitely use a big that can make plays out of the middle of the floor, be a canny short roll passer. That that would be a boon for them. Having somebody at with that much size for a position at the four spot, very helpful. Going into the pre-draft process, I was most impressed by him guarding the corners and what his off-ball defensive instincts were. And I think, in part, I might have missed the mark slightly there just because of what Houston's defensive scheme was, they were a very aggressive trapping scheme that called for him to have to be more proactive. So while he does make good reads, that's very different than what the Pacers do. And I was talking about them staying home on three point shooters. What they do with the low man is a lot more restraint. So um, I think that that's had to be an adjustment. And I, I, I know the fan base gets very frustrated with the fact that Jarris isn't playing, but a lot of what he does defensively is about his hands for reasons, both good and bad. He has very deft, quick hands. He, he cat like reflexes, good hand eye coordination, but it's more so that than it is about necessarily his mobility on switches on the perimeter as well. So when you watch him in the G league, I know Rick was asked like, why isn't he playing? And he was basically like, I need him to cut out the willy nilly gambles. So hmm. even in, in the fourth quarter when he was playing against Minnesota, like he'll shoot a passing lane or sometimes somebody might be bringing the ball up the floor and instead of getting back, he like wants to hound the ball and he might lunge for it. And then it compromises the defense. So he breaks from scheme on that end of the floor quite a bit. And there's just, you know, he's, he's a rookie. He's 20 years old. The Pacers want to win games. Tyrese has been very vocal about, you know, what did you learn from Team USA? And he was like, my big takeaway is I'm tired of losing. So it's just a little bit, you know, of a, a difference in timeline in terms of where they are and what they're waiting to see. But I, I do think that when you watch his G League minutes that you can see improvements from him. Like going into summer league in the beginning of the season, he was definitely drifting. Like he was getting hit by a gust of wind to his left when he's shooting. And now he's shooting the heck out of the ball in the G League, which the closeouts will be different at the NBA level, but you can see he's he's a lot more straight up and down. So I think that he can be a big part of it. His archetype represents what you see at the four spot being necessary in the playoffs, I think, a lot of the time. But mm-hmm. how long that's going to take before he gets there, because he's not there yet. So mm-hmm. um, very interesting that that got reported this week that they're you know very, very determined not to trade him in deals for Siakam, who if you did trade for Siakam would be, you know, starting in front of Jairus for four years. So that's a little bit curious for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Caitlin, thank you for answering all of our questions about the Pacers, but it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head with an NBA beat writer, or in this case, Caitlin Cooper from the Basketball She Wrote blog on Patreon, where you can read all about the Pacers for only $3 a month. Uh, now, Caitlin, how this works, come up with eight questions about the Pacers. Some are easy, some are hard. You'll give me a number between one and eight, 
and uh, correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one, and we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So what number between one and eight would you like to start with? Let's go with number seven. Question number seven. There are four active NBA players who are in the top 10 for three-pointers made in Pacers franchise history. Two of them are currently on the team, Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. Who are the other two? And you get one point per correct answer. That are top 10 in Pacers franchise history and made threes? And they are active players. And I told you two are currently on the team, suggesting that the other two are not. But they are still on the top 10 list for the Pacers. Wow. So I'm trying to think of guys who would have been recently made a lot of threes, but would have had to play for the Pacers long enough. My gut inclination is Doug McDermott, but is it Doug McDermott? Caitlin? That is incorrect. Oh, wow. (laughs) Andrew, you have a chance to steal. That does sound right, though. How long did Doug McDermott play for? Well, that's what I was just thinking. I'm like, I'm trying to get in my head how many seasons he played, but he he shot the ball really well for them. So I thought it was going to be enough. He played three seasons. Yeah. For the Pacers. Paul, Andrew? Paul George? That is correct for one point. Well, gee, going with a, an all-star caliber player probably would have been <laughs> a lot better play. <laughs> Any guesses on the other one, Andrew? Golly. Uh, I just have no clue who the Well, now I'm questioning, be. is it Boyan Bogdanovich? No. Th- Boyan Bogdanovich. <laughs> No. Okay. The reason I asked this question is because I figured Paul George would be like, you'd eventually get that. But then number 10, franchise history, three-pointers made, Justin Holiday. Justin Oh, and I Holiday. even love Justin. I should have Justin Holiday. Dude, I, yeah, yeah, I, I would have sat here all day. There would have been no way yeah. <laughs> I would have ever gotten to Justin Holiday. Wow. Uh, I'm like shocked that Justin Holiday made more threes for the Pacers than Boyan Bogdanovich did, but I guess he was on the team longer. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, you must have been on there a while. Uh, Andrew, the board is yours. Number one. Question number one. Uh, let's see what we got here. Okay, two weeks ago, Tyrese Halliburton had two consecutive 2020 games. 20 points, 20 assists. He is now one of eight active players who have scored at least 20 points and at least 20 assists in a game. And we're going to name the other seven active players who have a 2020 game in their career. So how this will work, Andrew will give me a name, then Caitlin will give me a name. We'll go back and forth till one of you stumbles. So Andrew, a player, active, who has had a 2020 game in their career. Russell Westbrook. That is correct. Caitlin. That was going to be my first guess, but I'll go with James Harden. James Harden is correct. Back I was going to say, like, he paused a little bit too long on that. So I, was like, I know, I, I was getting it. nervous. <laughs> James Harden didn't do it. Um, Boy, those are like the two easy ones, I feel like. <laughs> I'm sure that they're, I mean, uh, LeBron James. LeBron James. Andrew, that is incorrect. Seriously. LeBron has not done it. LeBron hasn't done it. Seriously. Wow. He hasn't done it, Andrew. Whoa. Uh, now, the other names. Caitlin, do you want to throw out a name just for fun? Any other names you were thinking oh, of? Oh, I have several guesses. Like, do I get oh, a point okay. for every one that I can get right here? Uh, you don't, but it would be very impressive if you got all the rest of the list. <laughs> oh, no. I think it's Luca. I think it's Chris Paul. Yes. I think it's Trey yes. Young. I think it's... Yes? It's Chris... Did I say Chris Paul? 
Yeah, you said Chris Paul, Luca, and Trey. All correct. There are two names left, and they are the hardest names, I will say. I know that there's a really random one. I don't know if he would have had 20 points, but I do remember that Fred Van Vliet had 20 assists. Yes! Fred Van Vliet is one of them. Do you remember the last one, which is also a very random one? Another player that would have had 20 assists in a game. No, I can't think of another guy. Who else would have had 20 assists in a game? Reggie Jackson. Reggie, Reggie Jackson. Jackson had a 2020 game? Shout Apparently. out. Reggie. That's what Stathead said. Wow. I did not double check, but. Wow. All right. It was tied one to one. SPG. Man, I feel like an idiot now, by the way. Just, <laughs> just so weird. That makes up for Doug McDermott for me. And the fact that I didn't name Paul George. <laughs> uh, all right, Caitlin, what number would you like next? Well, let's do number five. Question number five. Okay. What is Daniel Tice's career high in points for a game? Now you get to choose who answers first. So you can make Andrew answer first and then you can go higher or lower. No. Or you can answer first and then Andrew will go higher and lower. But if you make Andrew answer first and he gets it exactly correct, he would get a bonus point. So something to think about. So Daniel Tice's career high in points for a single game. I think the likelihood of either of us knowing that on the button is next to nothing, so I'll make him guess. All right, Andrew. You're a big Tice head. I'm a Ticeman. Uh, I don't know, 23. I don't know. 23. Okay, so Andrew sets the bar at 23. Caitlin, would you like to go higher or lower than 23? I'm trying to think of if he would have ever had like a big game or maybe other people were out. I don't, I'll, I'll go higher. Because I feel like you're asking this for a reason. Like, there's going to be some outlier game <laughs> that you like, like exploded for. Like we didn't know. Yeah, that 50 point game yeah. that we all forgot. <laughs> uh, well, Andrew, you were within two of the correct answer. The correct answer was 25 points, yes. which means Caitlin wins the two points. Who so was he playing for when he got more. it? Golly, 25 uh, points. For who Tice. was it? Would it have been, um, it was against the Timberwolves, and he was playing for Team Germany. <laughs> it was in 20, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was 2020. So, who, who was he on in 2020? 2020. Oh, Boston. Yeah. Okay. Boston. yeah. Wow. Uh, okay, Andrew, board is yours. It's uh, not good. Uh, number two. Number two. Here we go, Andrew. Which of the following is not. A basketball reference official nickname for one of the Indiana Pacers. I'm going to read you five nicknames. Four of them appear on basketball reference. One does not. And they are Samurai Miles, Cowboy Bruce, Eggs, Logs, and McClutchel. Once again, that is (laughs) Samurai Miles, Cowboy Bruce, Eggs, Logs, and McClutchel. And to be clear, Eggs and Logs, two separate nicknames there. I know I said them close together. It's not eggs logs. It's eggs and logs. Two separate nicknames. And McClutchel. McCl- Which of those is fake, Andrew? God, I kind of lean toward eggs and logs, but I don't know hmm. which one to go to. Eggs and logs. I'm jealous of this question because I actually know it. Guy, <laughs> I got to get it now. I have to figure out which one I want to lean toward on eggs and logs. <laughs> Oh boy, who would be eggs and who would be law? I'm gonna go. 
going to go eggs. Andrew, that is correct. That is not yes. a real nickname for Benedict Matherin. Okay. Uh, though I was reading, I was looking for fake nicknames for him, and a lot of people had egg-themed nicknames, so that's why I included Yeah, that eggs. would make sense. That would make sense. I'm trying to throw you off. Um, okay, the score is tied. Four questions left. Caitlin, you have control of the board. Let's do number four. Question number four. Miles Turner is averaging 1.4 threes per game and two blocks per game. If he averages at least one and a half threes and one and a half blocks per game for the season, it would be the fourth time he's done that in his career. There are three NBA players in history who have already had at least four seasons averaging one and a half threes and one and a half blocks per game. Who are they? And you get one point per correct answer. So these are players. Uh, they could be active. They could be not. But they had to have had at least four seasons where they averaged at least one and a half threes and at least one and a half blocks per game. Oh. I have two guesses of two active players that might have done it. Okay. I'm going to say Al Horford. Al Horford is incorrect. Andrew, it is your turn. You could potentially steal three points here, Andrew. Did Manute Bowl do it? Manute Bowl? No. No, Manute Bowl did not do it. Why was that your guess? I don't know. Can I guess my (laughs) other person? (laughs) Yes. My other person was going to be Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez has done it. Lopez, yeah. And uh, the other two are active players. The other two are active players. Any guesses? Is that? Yeah. Has Embiid Uh, done it? Embiid has not. Okay. One plays for the Celtics. And it wasn't Al Horford? No, it's Porzingis. Kristaps Porzingis has done it. And then uh, Triple J. Triple, Triple J. J. Oh, okay. Duh. It feels like he hasn't been in the league long enough to do it four times. I wouldn't have gotten. Yeah, that four. That's the thing that threw me off. Is four four times is a lot. It is a lot. Um, Andrew, do you want to know how many career threes Manute Bowl had? No. Forty three. Why did I think that? <laughs> Forty three. Why did I think that? Maybe I'm mixing Not him sure. up with somebody else in my brain. Bowl Bowl, perhaps? No. Gosh. He shoots threes. I'm, I'm okay, a, I'm Andrew. Scores tied. Three questions left. God, it, it, that feels really wrong for the score to be tied, to be honest. Um, number three. Number three. Tyrese Halliburton is the Pacers' leading scorer while attempting only 16.9 shots per game. Hmm. There are only six teams whose leading scorer attempts fewer than 16.9 shots per game. You have to name four to get all two points, but you get a half point for each correct guess. Boy, okay. So you can get some half points here. 16.9 shots. Yeah, so you're looking for teams whose leading score takes fewer than 16.9 shots. So I need to like think of these in my head and then unleash them all at once. Because uh, no, you can just do you can just do one at a time because you're going to get a half point per. Oh, I guess. do get a half point. Okay, uh, Chicago. Yeah. Chicago. That is correct for a half point. Can you make it a full point? Oh, let's, I'm trying to make it a full point here. Um, I'm trying to think of teams that don't rely on one player very much. Um, Smart strategy. Sixteen point nine. What about Houston? That is correct. You now have a full point 
Andrew, can you get the other two? There's actually four more. You just have to get two of them. Uh, hmm. What about Utah? Utah is correct, Andrew. Another half point. Can okay. you get one of the final three to get all two points? Um, hmm. What about the terrible team I saw last night, the uh, Portland Trailblazers? Oh, you missed that one, Andrew. Uh, so you currently have four points. The Simons? Point. Is uh, it Simons? Yeah, it is Simons. Uh, Caitlin, you Damn can it. steal a half point if you can name one of the other three teams. I'm trying to think of teams that have multiple guys who score in double figures. I think the Pacers might have the most players that score in double figures. Miami has pretty balanced scoring. Charlotte, I think, has yeah. several people. Charlotte was another one I thought of. I'm going to guess Charlotte. That is incorrect. Uh, it must be Lamelo. I'm assuming. Lamelo. Yeah, I guess. Taking that many. Yeah. Um, let's see how many he's taking. He is taking 19.9. Yeah. Oh. The other teams are Toronto. Ah. San Antonio Spurs. Okay. And this one surprised me, but it's true. New Orleans. I kind of forgot that Zion's only taking like 14.7 yeah, shots. Yeah, that throws you off a little bit. And, and Ingram, and, too. And, B, yeah, B.I. is below it as well. Yeah, that's that's wild that B.I. is below that. Huh. Okay, so now the score is an annoying 4.5 to 3. <laughs> uh, so it definitely won't end in a tie. So, Caitlin, you either can pick 6 or 8. Let's do number 8. All right. If Obi Toppin continues on his current pace... He will record more than 100 dunks this season, which is the first time a Pacer has done that in over a decade. Wow. Who was the last Pacer to have at least 100 dunks in a season? Yeah, this is a wild stat because a few years ago when they had Isaiah Jackson, Isaiah Jackson played 500 minutes and he had more dunks in those 500 minutes than the prior two Pacer teams combined. Like, they don't have... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they don't have a lot of um, high-flying dunkers. So when I went through those alley-oops, I mean, that was just alley-oop dunks. So I'm trying to think of who would have popped in the last, since 2013, and would have had 100 dunks. And, and to be clear, I said, this is the first time Pacer has done that in over a decade. Oh, so before 2013. Yeah, so the, whoever it is has to be before 2013. They have a lot of people who have competed in dunk contests as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go with an outlier. I mean, I don't know if he would have played enough minutes, though. Like, Gerald Green is in my head. Mm. Um, was he was he on the Pacers when he was in the dunk contest? No, he was no. Um, He was the Celtics. Celtics when he won. Okay. You're, you're questioning me about whether he was on the dunk contest of the Pacers leads me to think that that is the wrong answer. Um <laughs> Gosh, who would this be? I mean, I, th- I have a, another guess, but it seems too obvious. Like, I, I feel like I should just be answering an all-star because of the silliness of not saying Paul George <laughs> instead of Doug McDermott earlier. So I'm just going to say Rick Smiths. Rick Smiths? Did he ever have 100 dunks? He may have. I mean, his nickname's not- the Duncan Dutchman. If this isn't it's right, true. then come it's on. true. Well, it, it may be right, but somebody has done it since Rick Smiths. So, Andrew... You have a chance to steal here. Uh, Whose name you were thinking of? I was thinking of Jermaine O'Neal, but I just don't. I feel it's too obvious. Jermaine O'Neal. Andrew, that is 
Correct. Yes. It was Jermaine O'Neal. All right. Final question, Andrew. You get first stab at it. According to Cleaning the Glass, when this pacer is on the court, Indiana's defense holds opponents to 7.6 fewer points Hmm. per 100 possessions than when he is off the court, Hmm. which is best on the team. Hmm. Who is that pacer? TJ McConnell. No. Caitlin. (laughs) It's Andrew Nemhard. Also, no. Yes, it is. It's not. I'm on clean the glass. Let me double check. <laughs> like a week ago, it was Andrew Nemhart. Well, things have changed, Caitlin, in a week. Let, let me see here. Uh, what did I say? Oh, yeah. You haven't said off. yet. Um. Oh, you know what? What? No. Uh, where did I get this answer from? Now I'm looking and I can't even find it. I had Aaron Neesmith, but uh, I actually can't find that anywhere. <laughs> on cleaning the glass. So, you know what? Caitlin was so confident that I'm just going to give her uh, the point. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Andrew, you still won with six and a half points to four. A thrilling conclusion. Congratulations on your half point. Caitlin, thank you for playing. Thanks for losing again. I think this is my second loss, so this is looking real good for me. I'm jealous that you got the eggs question. I did get the eggs question. Could have gone either way. Could have gone with logs. Who knows? Hey, go read Caitlin's blog, uh, Basketball, she wrote, on Patreon.com. Uh, Caitlin, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we go? No, I think that pretty much covers it. People can head on over there. I'd be happy to have them. There's free options. There's a $3 option. And if you're really generous, there's a $5 option. Yeah. please. Uh, can, can I just give a quick update? I did find my mistake. Yep. Caitlin was absolutely correct. It is Andrew Nemhard. Wow. I, 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 my, I I did my eye tracking across the row incorrectly because Aaron Eastman's right below him. Uh, that was, I, was ner- I was nervous about that too because I gave it away. Like when we were answering questions, yeah, I said Aaron Nemhard's the most complete defender. The well, most well rounded oh, yeah. defender. I should have said that. I don't know why I thought TJ McConnell is just a hard worker. <laughs> you said man. it so confidently too. But what I loved is that Caitlin so confidently said, no, it's not. No, it's not <laughs> wrong. That was awesome. Uh, go check out Caitlin. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks again, guys. All right, Andrew, that was Pacers week. And that means we're going to spin the wheel again for the Wheel of Fandom. Whose star are we going to injure this week? Yeah, seriously. It's been a bad, <laughs> rough couple so weeks. It's been so weird. It's been really bizarre the past couple weeks. Um, So there's 21 teams left, mm-hmm. uh, including all of the teams that currently have a minus 10 or worse net rating. Wow. Washington, Charlotte, San Antonio, and uh, Detroit. Yeah, we talked. I, we talked a few weeks ago how three was unusual. Now we're we're, we're to four and like close to five. We're close to five because Portland's at minus nine point five. Very exciting. It's a great year for for just terrible basketball teams. Great year. Uh, okay, so let's spin the wheel. See who we get. Can we avoid one of those teams? Which would be my preference. All right. And whoa, geez, so close. Almost got Detroit, but it is going to be. The Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks. Wow. Wrap Giannis up and bubble wrap, everybody, because the wheel has chosen the Bucks. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Who are the Bucks going to play? Hey, they Uh, just smashed the Celtics, who were cowardly on a second night of a back-to-back. Yeah, I felt bad for Bucks fans when they just went away from TNT the just like cut it off yeah I don't, I don't i don't love that move because if you're a bucks fan you're like yeah i want to watch them just 
pummel this other team. The, the yeah, TNT like, did I that. get it, but... Yeah, TNT did that earlier this season. We were, You and I were actually at the game together, uh, which is a rare occurrence, but it was Thunder Spurs. You know, they just... Oh, were, they went away from that yeah, game? Yeah, they went away from that game. I, I don't like that move. Like, know. just... Just... Just play the blowout for the for the fans of the other team. Come on now. Uh, we got some good games. Okay, on Saturday mm-hmm. at home, NBA TV playing Golden State. Oh, it was crisis mode right yeah. now. Maybe Draymond's back. Let's see. Um, then back to back at home the next night to play the Kings. Okay, our wheel fandom team from two weeks That's ago. That's a fun one. And then Wednesday night ESPN game. Will they go away from this one at Cleveland? Will Darius Garland be back? Hey, Perhaps. Maybe. I don't know. Cleveland's been good. That's a, that's a good. That's a good one. I like that one. And we're just missing their next two games after that. Next Saturday and Monday, both at Detroit, two in a row. So we're missing that. Whew. Lucky for Whew. us. By the we skin of our <laughs> <laughs> Hey, go leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, and we will read it on the show, just like this one. Uh, this is. I, I guess this is reoccurring, Al that this is left by Coasters Rafting. Hey guys, I'm back. Spring is coming near in Wisconsin. And with that, come raging trips down the mighty Peshtigo River. Book your spring adventure with Coasters Rapid Rafts and use the promo code SLAMAJAM, S-L-A-M-A, JAM. Don't get fired, Andrew. You can come here. (laughs) You can come for free. I I, I read this to my my kids. My kids really want to go to uh, the ra- yeah? the raging rapids in Wisconsin. Do you think that's a real? Uh, I, look, promo I looked play? it up. It's a real thing. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it's an unofficial sponsor. It's an unofficial sponsor of Slam and Jam. If you want to go. Wow. Uh, River rafting. How it's nice. A f- Fifteen hour drive for me to northern Wisconsin. <laughs> now they said recurring. They they've left that same comment previously. Yeah. yeah, I've seen it before. Yeah. Are they having to use different accounts just to do this? Uh, I don't know. You can't leave multiple reviews for a single pod. Right? I don't know. I don't know, but uh, you can go go rafting in Wisconsin with. May we? May, hey, maybe we do a live pod out there. We should live do a pod. live pod from, from the rapids. From the rapids, slam electronic and jam. water go together so well. I would love to do it. That'd be great. Uh, and then uh, Malik Monk one. I wonder if this is Malik Monk. You think Malik Monk? That'd be really <laughs> listening cool. Listening during just Kings picked week? him up on my fantasy team. That'd be very cool. He said, "Great podcast. Love listening to it. Can't wait for each episode." every week so thank you so much for that review al it's gonna be gonna be an interesting week we've got the trade deadline approaching we've got to watch the milwaukee bucks it's gonna be great hope you all enjoy your weekend stay safe and we'll talk to you guys again next week As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.